Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Every Thursday, we go to the source of the story to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. I'm your host, James, and today I'm bringing in a paper about killing all of the mosquitoes. I am your other host, Charlie, and I have not read this paper because it sounds very diabolical. So I'm going to be asking a lot of questions from James. We're both PhD students who read lots of papers for our own research. So this podcast is our way of sharing our love for science with anyone who wants to learn about the discoveries that affect us all. We are the Paper Boys. Okay, James, I want to know more about this paper you brought in because you said it's about killing all the mosquitoes and it honestly sounds pretty scary. It is pretty scary when you actually dive into it, but it's super cool. (laughs) And honestly, the more and more I dove into this paper and started looking at the technology that they're using and what they're doing, it's insane. It brings up a lot of ethical questions, but like, also the science is just so cool. Okay, it does sound like almost more of an ethical dilemma than a scientific one. Yeah, and we will definitely at least touch on that uh, towards the end. But before we get there, I definitely want to get into the science. And I think it's worth taking a step back and saying, why would you want to kill all the mosquitoes in the first place? I mean, they bite you. They're very annoying. It's true. I uh, When I read the title, so this news article came out probably a week ago across many different news sites. The first one that got me to click was CNN saying, gene editing could eliminate mosquitoes. But is it a good idea? Did you say gene editing? Gene editing. Okay, so this isn't as maybe it's more diabolical than I thought it was. But it does it. You know, when you say kill all the mosquitoes, I'm thinking we're gonna go out there with flamethrowers, bug spray bombs, and yeah, yeah, more like the like test tube lab nerd variety of going out with the flamethrower. So evil scientist version. Evil scientist, absolutely. To capture it a little more, BBC said gene editing wipes out mosquitoes in the lab. Okay. Smithsonian Mag had a good one too. Uh, Kill all the mosquitoes? Question mark, exclamation point. (laughs) New gene editing technology gives scientists the ability to wipe out the carriers of malaria and the Zika virus. But should they use it? Wow. That's a long headline. That's a long headline. But it sounds like they cover the bases here. Yeah. So this Smithsonian article is actually excellent, and I'll get into it in a little bit more. Wait, your original question though was, why would you want to kill all the mosquitoes? Yeah, I mean, personally, I hate mosquitoes. I have consciously changed plans from something, many things that I've really wanted to do because of mosquitoes. Okay, but realistically, living in the Pacific Northwest, mosquitoes aren't that bad. This must affect other people. Well, I mean, having spent several years in Virginia, it is a huge, huge thing there, especially if you don't like mosquitoes. But more than that, more than like ruining a picnic... It turns out mosquitoes are the most deadly animal on Earth. What? By far. By far. More than hippos? Yeah, you never know it, but mosquitoes are more deadly than hippos. Yeah, just fun fact. What's the second most deadly animal? There's a great infographic I'll post too. But First of all, not a fun fact. Not a fun S- fact, actually. Second yeah. of all, not fun at all. Is it hippos? No, freshwater snails. What? Because they carry this little worm that infects people and 
kills people all over okay, the world. Okay, I, I don't really love these stats because it's not like the mosquitoes are killing people. It's not like the snails are killing people. It's the disease that they have. They're the vector for it, though. The worm that the snail has is what killed the people. But so, all right, mosquito-related deaths are ranked at about 725,000 per year, or they're numbered at that. Wow. Freshwater snails, 20,000 to 200,000. Oh, so mosquitoes are in a whole different class. It's another ball game. Humor me. What's the third? Again, not very humorous. <laughs> is it hippos? No, it's snakes, and that's actually horrifying. That is way scarier. But yeah, 125,000 deaths by snakes. Oh, here. that's a, like a horrific death, too. Yeah. But back to mosquitoes. Scorpions are on the list, too, with a couple thousand. But anyways, I'm digressing just because I thought that was interesting. Mosquitoes are a huge problem globally. Yeah, well, in Africa especially, right? That's the big target when they're talking about spreading or preventing the spread of malaria. Uh, yeah, Africa is definitely affected. And I think they sort of carry a disproportionate amount of the deaths and number of people who are affected. But mosquitoes are a problem in Asia and recently with Zika virus having oh, spread yeah. up north. And the estimates with global warming or global climate change, they seem to suggest that mosquitoes are only going to become a bigger and bigger problem as time progresses. So like the next 10 years, you think of like the hurricanes that recently hit the U.S. and you get this big flooding. And if you have some warm temperatures with that. Oh, I was reading that after Hurricane Florence, there were these massive mosquitoes. That, really? That, yeah, they swarmed all over, where was it, North Carolina? Oh, man. And people thought they were wasps. These mosquitoes were so big. Oh. Oh, it makes my skin crawl. It's yeah. like that Jumanji scene with those giant bugs that made me scared of mosquitoes for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's like, put another tick for killing all the mosquitoes. <laughs> I that know. Story, yeah, we right? got a lot of pros so far. A lot of pros. But so, there are these articles, and they're talking about gene editing, and it's getting pretty sci-fi. And so, of course, seeing this, and being part of Paperboy's... I had to get into what's the science behind this. You're such a good paper boy, James. It's what I do. I'm dutiful. So I pulled up the paper from Nature. So bear with me. The title is a bit of a word jumble, but uh, we'll break it down. So the title is A CRISPR-Cas9 Gene Drive Targeting Double Sex Causes Complete Population Suppress... I can't even say it. Suppression in Cage Anopheles Gambiae. If anyone speaks fluent Latin, please excuse me for that pronunciation. And then the last word is mosquitoes. So there's a lot. This is a dense title. I Yeah. If you listen to that and we're horrified, just look at our website, the actual title. Yeah, we'll, we we'll post there. the paper on there. You said this was in the journal Nature? Nature Biotechnology. Yeah. So Nature subset. Biotechnology. Okay. And so this is coming from Imperial College London in the United Kingdom by a group doing research on mosquitoes and also, I believe, very heavily in genetics as well. Okay. Are mosquitoes a common animal used for genetic studies? From what I understand reading this paper, it sounds like it. They seem to know a lot about mosquito genetics. What was fascinating to me is, A, I didn't realize how many species of mosquitoes there are. There are thousands of different species of mosquitoes. Different species? Wow. Thousands. They and all, They all look the same to me. They all look the same, and when they bite me, yeah. I'm not pretty happy. But They all splat the same against my skin. You would think so, but not all mosquitoes bite, actually. So. Oh. As I learned. And, um, all right, there's one in the cons section of should we kill all mosquitoes? They don't all bite. And they are very beneficial to the ecosystem. Okay. Even amongst mosquito species, the mechanisms behind their genetics and their evolution and their life cycle can vary drastically. 
which is interesting because as I'll get into, like they targeted a very, very specific uh, genus and species of mosquito for this. Okay. And it's part of their justification for doing this gene editing to kill mosquitoes because they think that because this different species are so different, it may not carry over and there may not be much overlash. Oh, so when they say killing all the mosquitoes, they're really more talking about killing all the mosquitoes of one specific species, of which there are thousands. Exactly. Yeah. And so I feel like I've gone off in a couple different directions right now, but they're trying to use gene editing to kill off this population of mosquitoes. Spoiler alert, it would be for like a localized population. It's not like you edit this gene and suddenly all mosquitoes across the world of the species are dead. But the idea is that mosquitoes are a vector for some of these really bad diseases, such as malaria. And that's specifically the one that they talk about. And that's the species of mosquito they're targeting, one that carries malaria. And there are a couple different ways you could think about trying to fight malaria in the world. You could just make everybody wear mosquito nets all the time, which isn't a very reasonable thing to do. They tried pesticides for a long time with the idea that the most effective way of getting rid of malaria is just getting rid of the mosquito that carries it. But the thing is that mosquitoes are pretty resilient, and just like viruses, they become resistant to the pesticides. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And is, is there any fear that they would become resistant to this as well? Yes. Yes. We well, sound excited about that question. Well, so this was one of the really interesting things for me coming from like an electrical engineering background. I know very little about genetics. In the introduction of this paper, they're talking about their motivation and their hypothesis for what, why they're taking their particular attack and doing the experiments. Okay. What they were saying is that they had come across about like two or three different gene editing techniques. It turns out there's also this cool thing you can do with bacteria and mosquitoes to uh, you infect them with this bacteria, um, but it's a different study. It'll talk about it in a little bit. So they identified a couple different ways, and they have very specific names. I'm going to try not to butcher them. But essentially, one of the fears in doing this, these gene editing techniques, or what's actually called a gene drive, is that the natural genetics of the insect fights the change. Really? Yeah. So there's some previous research doing this gene drive, and what they were trying to do is actually just make the mosquito infertile. And what they found... Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. From what I understand at a very basic level, it's like you find the gene that gives them fertility, and then you somehow turn it off or delete it. But it gets turned back on somehow? Yeah. So in artificially changing the genetics, what I understood was that after one or two generations of the mosquitoes breeding... Essentially, their DNA corrects for the error. That's crazy. And finds that there's this error and, yeah, and fixes it. So that's a concern. This was brought up pretty well in the CNN article and some of the other ones about long-term effects, why you have to do a lot of testing. But that's what's cool about this technique that they brought up in their paper, this CRISPR-Cas9 gene drive that they're doing, and specifically the gene that they're targeting, is that they found the mosquito's DNA wasn't able to fight it off. And so it wasn't defending itself against it. Wow. So I've been hearing a lot about this CRISPR thing in the news. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's this gene editing technique. Is it just so popular now because it works better than everything else? It's, It's not any fundamentally different than these other gene drives that you've talked about? Not from my understanding of it. So this was my first real introduction with CRISPR, and I just did a little bit of a dive into it um, just to get a better sense of what's happening. And it 
I think it's popular because it's so useful and it works really well. So like the methodology is really un- well understood, the mechanics are, and it applies across many different subjects. Like, man, there's just so many tangents to take this on. But like I found one really cool article where they're actually trying to bring back this thing called the ground cherry. So there's this great article, Taming the Ground Cherry with CRISPR, a fussy fruit inches toward the supermarket. Oh, so they can use this with all kinds of different living things. Yeah, you can basically use it to sort... It's a form of genetic engineering. Wow, so they're modifying cherries to make them edible. Yeah, this weird form of ground cherry that's kind of like a tomato, and it's like super hard to harvest because the plants are really just... They're really messy, and the fruit falls off too early, and they can actually use CRISPR to improve the duration, uh, extend the duration that the fruit stays on the vine and make them more organized as a plant. It's crazy. That's really crazy. I'll post a link to that too, just because it's really cool. That doesn't sound very non-GMO to me though. No. It's literally the opposite of non-GMO. It's highly GMO. Highly GMO. Highly GMO. So we're talking about GMO mosquitoes then. We're talking about, well, so they talk about this in one of the pop science news articles, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And they say it's actually not a GMO mosquito because they're only using gene drive for subtractive effects. Oh, that's a modification. Come on. I agree. I agree. That's so a, I think that's a bogus semantic point. They also do this thing with the genetic modification to add uh, like a red marker. It's got it's a cool part of their methodology. So they can actually identify the different genders of mosquitoes. And so they'll glow red under a fluorescent light. Whoa. Yeah. They, oh, man. I wish they could do that to people. They maybe could. Well, but... I'm sure they, they could. <laughs> I wish they were allowed to do that to I people. Know. Dude, watch this party effect. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a cool little trick. Dude, hold my beer. <laughs> um, so anyways, in an effort to kind of break this down, I sort of wrote out some of the key steps, which I think make their methodology more insightful, and it was super interesting to me. Essentially what they do for this genetic modification, this gene drive, is the scientists create this genetic code that disrupts reproduction in female mosquitoes. And so this is what's pretty unique about their experiment. There's this gene that they identified and they understand really well called double sex, and it's just part of the genome. They know exactly where it is, and it's only present in female mosquitoes. Okay, and what does it control? It's something about when mosquitoes reproduce, they don't totally understand the mechanism by which gender is decided, like coming from the chromosomes. Oh, like when the mosquito is a fetus. Well, I guess it's not a fetus. A larva? Uh, I guess an embryo. An embryo, okay. So the cells are undergoing meiosis, and um, there's some descendants from this gene. And at some point, like, there's a coin flip, and different signals going on. They talk about it a little bit. That part, admittedly, was over my head. But if you're a female mosquito, you have this gene called double sex. Okay. <laughs> abbreviated as DSX. They wanted to interrupt this gene. And essentially what they did was the researchers created some genetic code. It adds this little bit of uh, genetic code before this gene, and it interrupts it. Okay, so what does interrupting this gene do to the mosquito? Essentially what it does is when you... You inherit from parents two sets of chromosomes. So when you inherit this gene, it also has this thing called gene drive, and it basically just makes the mosquito unable to reproduce. In female mosquitoes, it makes it so their reproductive organs are just like totally messed up. 
and mutated. And this is crazy. It totally messes up their poking snout. Not the correct physiological term. <laughs> but so they can no longer bite either. So Whoa, really? Die. Yeah. They don't reproduce. They don't. That's crazy. So they just have this short life of hunger and mangled organs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is really, that does sound really evil. It does sound really evil. Yeah. How is this? Well, and I'm, I don't really expect you to know the answer, but it sounds really similar to what you said before about how they would inject a gene that made these mosquitoes infertile. How come we don't think that they're going to overcome this in a couple generations? Is it because their snout gets messed up? Yeah. And so this was one of the cool things reading this article is to actually sort of glean what their scientific method was for it. So the first step, what they did was they added this genetic material into one of the embryos. And, um, you know, step number one, if this is going to be a viable solution, it can't kill the mosquito. Because if you just kill this mosquito whose genes that you change, then it won't reproduce and it won't pass on and the rest of the population goes on. You'd have to inject every mosquito. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just a very expensive fly swatter at that point. Exactly. Yeah. A multi-million dollar fly swatter. Uh, Step one was test. Does it kill the mosquito? And the answer was no. And then, you know, you get the two genes coming down from your parents. And so they wanted to see at what point can the mosquito no longer reproduce. So they tested with a population. And what they found was if you have what's called a a heterozygous uh, mosquito, that means it has one of these messed up chromosomes and the other just a normal chromosome. It acts normally, which importantly means that it will mate and it will pass on that recessive gene oh and that's that's critical because you want them to be able to survive and pass it on i see but as soon as it's a female mosquito that has both of these recessive alleles i think it's recessive the term that they use is once you have a homozygous mosquito which means both of its chromosomes have this then the mosquito no longer can bite and it's gonna die it can't reproduce Okay, so it's like if we were to create a disease that killed all blonde people. Blonde is like a recessive gene, right? Yeah, except then they do this thing called gene drive where uh, you only get one of them and then suddenly you get both of them because there's some added genetic material that pulls it from the other chromosome. This is my understanding. If you're listening to this and you understand genetics really well, please let us know. Tell me what we got right, what we're butchering. But um. From my understanding, it's fascinating. It sounds really crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, so it it advances the process. And this was the major finding. One of the major findings, I should say, is that within 7 to 11 generations of mosquitoes, the population died. They could no longer reproduce. That is insane. So what they're really doing is that they're, it's like if they made a disease for humans that turned you blonde and then made you have blonde babies and then killed you for being blonde. Yeah, yeah. That's horrible. You're just living your life normally, and then you reproduce. But, like, you wouldn't actually have babies. Like, they just wouldn't exist. But you wouldn't know why. Oh, that's horrible. So, it's kind of like we're fighting fire with fire. These mosquitoes are going around spreading diseases to us. So, we just, in effect, invented a genetic disease for them to spread among themselves. Yes. And this is not the first time humans have tried to do this with insects. Really? Wait, tell me more. There was an interesting case as I was diving into this where in the 50s, they started irradiating using gamma rays to try to kill this worm that was an agricultural pest. And it turns out that blasting them with gamma rays to make them infertile somehow passed on and they were able to like eradicate this thing. They they tried (laughs) that with mosquitoes too. 
That's but it wasn't that's like that is hardcore. It's hardcore. How do they know they weren't going to create like a a Hulk? Dude, I have no idea. They were that was a gutsy move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a gutsy gutsy move. Um, so they're able to kill off this population, and then the next really big consideration is uh, they tested it in the lab, but for it to really be effective, you know, you don't want to kill the insect initially, but a lab is like an ideal environment. They give them like the perfect humidity, perfect temperature and everything. So they're not sure if changing this gene adds some sort of competitive disadvantage to the mosquitoes that have it but don't display the traits. So if you have like only one of the recessive genes and you're a male, from their experiments, they didn't find any problem with them. Like they could still mate and pass it on to their offspring. Uh, but maybe in the wild, that's not the case. Yeah, if you take into factors like you're competing for food and there's predators, like maybe if you fly just a little bit slower, like you get eaten more. Yeah, so then those males would not spread the gene at all. As effectively, yeah. Hmm, well, there's only one way to find out whether that's true, right? Yeah, so sort of like next steps for the research. A group in Australia did do something similar, more with the bacterial route. There's this bacteria called Wolbachia, Wolbachia, not sure what it is. You give it to a male mosquito, and then it just renders, like, they're infertile. So they'll mate, and the babies never hatch. And that was really effective. In some parts of Australia, they were able to kill off 80% of this invasive species of mosquito that carries things like West Nile. Oh, wow. So uh, so why do we even need this new CRISPR thing? That's a really good question, and I'm not totally sure. My guess is that maybe doing the gene drive technique would be more effective, or maybe it gives them a little bit more control. Um, I'm not sure what the process is like for giving the mosquitoes Wolbachia. Mm. Or maybe that was specific to ones, just that one species of mosquito, whereas this technique could be used on any of the species they want. That's a great point. Yeah, it was a different species that they used the Wolbachia on, so it could just be species-specific, and maybe you kind of need a toolbox of these different diabolical gene-editing tools to <laughs> get it done. Wow. I mean, that is fascinating research. It does sound like something a mad scientist would cook up. Seriously. I mean, I was so impressed reading through this paper just on the amount of information and knowledge that they needed. Like, you need a lot of species-specific information. You need to understand genetic theory. They're going through so many different tests and all these generations of mosquitoes and collecting different eggs and analyzing them. Like, I didn't even have a chance to talk about, like, all the steps that they went through, but it I'm super impressed. Yeah, I mean, this must be a really big research group from a whole whole bunch of different backgrounds. I mean, you got to imagine that just being an expert on one species of mosquito is probably a really rare field. So having this whole group of people that becomes experts on this to the point that they can actually modify their genes. I mean, how much work has to go into sequencing the genome of one type of mosquito? I know. Yeah, and you know... There are these beautiful figures in the paper, and you you just have to ask yourself, especially like in our place as graduate students, knowing how much work like every little figure takes. Oh, yeah. Days. And the hundreds, if not thousands of tests that they did that failed or like didn't quite work or the image wasn't quite good enough. And it's like, it's impressive. They tell a good story. Yeah. yeah. And boiling all that work down into just those couple of graphics sometimes almost doesn't even do it justice. Yeah. Yeah. It was a real, it was a real pleasure, a real eye opener for me to check this out. That's cool. I mean, I hope that, yeah, I hope you were able to learn something outside your wheelhouse. Now, speaking of doing it justice, coming back to these news stories, how did they do? The news stories 
I have to say, did a good job. Um, really? Because this is the kind of thing that I would expect. It's so complicated. And there's, it's such a deep rabbit hole, like you've found from reading this paper, that you wouldn't expect the journalists to all necessarily go and read this paper and truly understand it and then be able to convey that information perfectly. I mean, you saw yourself how hard that was. Yeah, I was struggling on this one initially. I had to Google more words than I've ever Googled in my life, probably, <laughs> just to get through like the introduction. But what I found was like CNN, for example, did a good article. Like it was generally accurate and they touched more on like the ethical implications of it towards the end. Okay. Kind of a high level, high level breakdown of what the experiments were because this article is very, very technical. But then Dark Horse, Smithsonian comes out I shouldn't say Dark Horse because they've put out great articles before. I mean, they're the actual science institution here, so. I know. But, I mean, this was like a very in-depth, like, full-on article, great graphics. That was where I was, like, reading about the most deadly animals Ah, rankings. They have a great infographic, uh, so definitely check out the link. They do an excellent job. Really cool infographics, too, breaking down the scientists' methodology as well. That's awesome. So do you think that these stories got as big as they did because of this ethical side of things? That it, it poses a really interesting question to us as humans that now we have this control to eradicate a species if we wanted to through this very advanced technology, not just through our own stupid hubris and doing something accidental or you know pumping CO2 into the atmosphere all day every day, <laughs> but literally editing the gene of one specific species for the sole purpose of eradicating them. I mean, that's an immense amount of power, and people can probably really latch onto that if they're reading about this dilemma. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where it's like, could we actually eradicate mosquitoes if we wanted to? Probably not. Like, it's probably a lot harder to do than just modifying a couple of genomes. Like, but you know, let's entertain the idea. Exactly. And so then, it's not a very large logical step to say, what if I replace mosquito with my dog or my baby? And it's like one thing to say, yeah, I'll do that to help prevent like a certain type of disease. But it quickly and very easily can spiral into other types of... Yeah, where does the buck stop? Mm-hmm. It is really fascinating because, like you said, mosquitoes being the deadliest animal, it's it's the perfect moral dilemma. And they're just annoying. You know, like, these <laughs> aren't know. pandas we're talking about. You have to be a real devil's advocate to fight on the other side of this argument. Yeah, <laughs> or just understand the ecosystem. Yeah, it actually but... probably means that you you really understand the nuances, but... Yeah, but man, mosquitoes. Yeah, screw nuance. I don't want to get bit anymore. I know. It's really tempting. It's really tempting. I'm curious to see what will happen. This CRISPR method, too, like, especially if it's bringing good new fruit to the supermarket, gets could be th- big. Gets a thumbs up in my book. Thumbs up. Keep it. Cool. Well, I mean, it's good that these articles are getting written. Hopefully, it's bringing more attention to this uh, this whole new gene editing thing and maybe making people understand the science behind CRISPR a little bit better. And if they don't, then they should be tuning into Paperboys. So they can. Yeah, and reading this paper was also just enlightening for me too. It was a great opportunity to get out of my comfort zone, go into something related to genetics and biology and mosquitoes. So I learned a lot. I'm really thankful to check it out. And it was just really cool as well to see the scientific method, how it applies in a different field, and really just the brilliance that went behind the work. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, look at you, James, leading by example. You've inspired me to go try to tackle an even harder paper next time. So Venture off into the mountains with your paper boy's flag. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one thing when you go read about goats reading people's faces, but, you know, everyone loves goats. 
it's hard, to, it's hard to intellectually challenge yourself to read about mosquitoes and gene editing. Mosquitoes don't. Well, mosquitoes love people too. But <laughs> for, for yes, for the wrong reasons, unfortunately. The wrong reasons. They love people like we love cows. <laughs> uh, so, folks, we have a new segment that we've started up here on Paper Boys called Grad Student Highlight. This week, we have Alex Barth, who is a PhD student at Caltech doing research in inorganic chemistry. Why don't we let her tell you about her research and her grad school experience? Hi, my name is Alex Barth. I'm a second year graduate student pursuing a PhD in inorganic chemistry at Caltech. My research focuses on understanding the reactivity of an iron sulfur cluster called a FEMO cofactor, which serves as the active site in the protein nitrogenase. For context, one of the most important chemical reactions for life is called nitrogen fixation, which is making ammonia out of nitrogen gas in the atmosphere. Synthetically, we perform this reaction on industrial scales through the Haber-Bosch process, which requires immense temperatures and pressures as gases are passed over these consecutive catalyst beds to break the triple bond in nitrogen gas. In total, 2% of the total energy expended on the planet goes towards this process, but the world's population has become dependent on the synthetically derived ammonia for fertilizers to sustain our populations. The twist is, nature is able to perform the same reaction in bacteria at completely ambient temperatures and pressures. Only recently, in the past 20 years, scientists have found the active site for this reactivity, an iron sulfur cluster found in the protein nitrogenase. As chemists, we're fascinated by the idea of how these clusters are made in biology, and specifically how this cluster is structured, containing a peculiar six-coordinate carbon atom as the cluster's core. For my research, we're creating synthetic analogs of the iron sulfur cluster in the lab, determining the structure-function relationships between this cluster and its reactivity. I think people are typically think that metals in biological research are inherently incompatible, which just isn't correct. There are tons of metals found within your body and within biology that are completely essential to life itself. Wow, super fascinating. That is a field that I cannot claim to know anything about, but we are very grateful here on Paper Boys to have the opportunity to learn a little bit about it directly from someone in the field. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex. It's really fascinating. I didn't know there was such a connection to the metals in my body and biology. You got to get connected, man. I know. I'm disconnected. To your I'm metals. Spending too much time in the CRISPR. I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, folks, we're really glad that you have tuned in to listen today. Check us out on Twitter, at PaperboysPod. Go ahead, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. I get so pumped whenever anyone leaves us any feedback. So we would really, really appreciate it if you did that. Charlie's not kidding, guys. Um, you can also check out our website each week for the new postings, paperboyspodcast.com, or hit us up for the RSS feed. Our website's also a great spot to go. We're going to post our articles and the papers that we talk about here on the show there. So if you're trying to dive into that information, that's where you can find it. We'll also post our grad student highlight there. So Alex Barth, you'll be able to find her Twitter and more about her work on the website too. Thanks again, everyone. And join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening.